You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Yeah, I'll be here. Um, absolutely. Now, uh, Lisa, you also, uh, what, what's the fantasy stuff you did? You, you did like uh, uh, three books or a two-book series? What was yeah, it? Yeah, um, two books as, um, under a pseudonym. What was the pseudonym? Isabel Glass. And what, were the, what was the MacGuffin? What was the deal on those? What do you mean? What was the story? <laughs> It, it was high fantasy. It's one of those complicated high fantasy stories. All right. What? Were there dark lords? No. Okay. No All dark right. lords. No elves. No dwarves. Um, secret passages. Secret passages. Yeah. Right. Because you also write. You are you still reviewing for? You were reviewing for a while for. Locus. Yeah. I know you reviewed. Uh, I was reviewing. I'm reviewing um, sometimes for Strange Horizons, but they got a new person there, so I don't know. Uh huh. Because you reviewed the uh, George Martin at one point. Yeah. Well, I really like the George Martin. I really. Yeah. I like his stuff. So why do you think there's this? I mean, is he uh, all sui generis, as they say, or is there a a, a lift in the market for I sort of gritty half fantasy these days. I don't know. I'm the wrong person to ask that. Well, um, I think he's just, he's it and maybe a couple other people. Um, but generally, fantasy just kind of gets lost. Gets lost? Yeah, the high fantasy. People just sort of... The what? Maybe that's it. Yeah. yeah there but, I mean, I don't know. His is I, What I like about his is that it's almost like an answer to Tolkien. It's like he's saying, you know, people aren't all heroic or, you know, all bad. And, and fantasy worlds aren't that pretty. And people, the people you don't, you know, you like can die. And, you know, there are brothels. There's a few too many brothels in his books. I guess. <laughs> and and the TV show, my God, <laughs> I don't know if you've been watching that. It's like all oh. brothel all the time, yeah. it seems like. Oh, really? Have you Whoa. seen the show? Sure. <laughs> it's an HBO show. You have to have brothels because it's on HBO. Oh, okay. Are other people watching the show? Do people read these books? Yeah. These books are huge. Right? All right. They're so. literally huge. Yeah. Well, they're... Um, uh, well, Nick, do you read? Uh, you don't write fantasy at all, do you? Sure, I do. You do like what? Like anything, like Lovecraftian. Stories. Oh, that one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Kerouac meets Lovecraft, yeah. right? Um, that story I, that won me my wife was Raymond Carver meets Lovecraft, and you were sitting right here when I read it. <laughs> oh, all yeah, right. That's fantasy. It's not science fiction. It's not scientific. Right? Well, you just yeah, mean that with elves and stuff. Most no, most no. science fiction is not scientific. Sure, sure. But uh, <laughs> all right. Luckily for me, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I refuse to do math. Well, all right. Uh, unless somebody has a question for the uh, from the audience for our authors, I thought we got two very different type of stories here. As everybody knows who's ever been to college, there's uh, two kinds of fiction. There's <laughs> the kind that gathers up information as it rolls down the hill, and there's the kind that puts out information as it rolls down the hill. Right? You, you learned this in college. Yeah. Oh, wow. I've never heard that in my <laughs> I life. I this one, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't go to college? Yeah, I went to college. I never heard that one. <laughs> um, I didn't major in English. Maybe it was something else. I majored in English. Oh, jeez. No. I, I didn't go to creative writing classes. Oh, all right. Well, it's, yeah, I was. Well, let's it, say it's true. It struck me that, that <laughs> your story was a, a lot about um, a, and it, it reminded me of Philip K. Dick in a way, and it reminded because there was a I lot. Was high when I wrote it the entire time, partly. Okay. But it also it it um, I, I thought it, it it threw off sparks. It was like I I, I like that kind of stuff. I, somebody was asking me a, a minute ago where what's the new what's sci, where's science fiction going these days, and it seems to me like there there's an edge of science fiction that's not so much about 
narrative as it is about a central idea, and then you throw off sparks around that central idea. Mm -hmm. I think of Charles Strauss. Sure. I'm thinking of Dr. Rhoda, the Corey, to mm -hmm. some extent, although he usually has a conventional spine. And at least in the tone, mm -hmm. it seemed uh, you seem to be in that school of work, in this work. Yes. Yeah. Sure. I'd buy that. You'll buy that. Yeah, well, I don't like plots. I don't like Freytag's triangle. I feel oppressed by Freytag's triangle of the rising action of the climax. Even Is though, it? as a teacher, I teach Freytag's triangle. Who the hell's Freytag? And Gustav Freytag was a German playwright and an anti Semite. That's why we only know about <laughs> his triangle. We don't do the plays anymore, and we don't do the novels. But he, wrote, he, he developed this triangle that sort of describes a dramatic structure. So you have rising action to a climax, then a denouement, then also underneath it, the bottom line of the triangle is revelations, you know, about the characters. Have you heard of this? No. no you, Boy, I've clearly you, missed everything. Wh where did you go to school? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I also missed the, the thing about... That's even got a Wikipedia entry, this Freytag's Triangle. Oh, I don't know right. about Terry's theory. That's nuts. But this Freytag's Triangle, serious. Yeah. Freytag. All right. It's with an E. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, I had one of my students here tonight. Who's that? Yeah. Uh, Dominica, she's in the back row. She sold the first story to Asimov's. Ooh. She knows all about Freytag's Triangle through to my class. Really? Yeah. Is that yeah, true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. What? Yes. Yeah, I said it's true. It's true. All right. And she also wrote about parasites for her Asimov story. So I think there might be a, a new sort of parasite punk movement coming out. Parasites. All right. Well, that would be good, I guess. Isaac. Um, well, couldn't Terry's theory of literature be rolling down the Hill of Freitag's Triangle? Probably. Yeah, it could or be. Or down, yes. It could be. Yeah. Well, I, I had a, I did have a serious theory at one point that. Today? No, not oh. today. That, um, um, and I guess it's kind of outdated. I used to, my theory used to be that if you're writing science fiction, um, you're writing about, you know, strange events so that the narrative had to be as conventional as possible. And I think for many years, science fiction was like that. It's mm -hmm. not, it was not a, a natural home for literary modernism, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think there's a movement today that sort of belies that. Uh, and I think, uh, the, you know, the fact that you've got tables and subway mm -hmm. schedules and menus and, well, and stuff. In when I was book. talking to Rick uh, over there uh, during the break, I said I was really inspired by the web browser, especially like a tabbed web browser. So in a tabbed web browser, you might be looking at your Facebook and answering your email and reading the New York Times and writing an email and looking at Twitter at the same exact time. So you've, you know, you're experiencing a multi-source, simultaneous writing and reading. And you could also have, you know, YouTube, YouTube videos going and music in the background and we're doing, trying to get that experience, that sort of media experience in a, in a, in a book. Well, I can see that as a reader. Do you do that as a writer? I mean, do you, uh, are you listening to music and... and yeah, 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 absolutely, yes. Even while you're writing? Especially when I'm writing. I can't, I'm not one of those people who does a lot of research. I have to, like, so I have the web browser open, and if I need to know what time the A&P and the West Village closed in 1994, i got to try to find that information that moment. I can't, I can't finish the sentence without knowing it. So you can't make it up. That's right. <laughs> well, what if it's wrong on the web? <laughs> well, there was people who are going to check me. Going to check me on the web, then then it's fine. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I'm just Wikipedia Brown, not Encyclopedia Brown. That's yeah. You serious? You actually? You actually? Uh, yeah. That's right. I can't, I don't work in cafes. I work at my house because I can have music on and do whatever I want. You don't have an iPad then? You, no, you no. can't be online at no. the cafes. No. No. <laughs> How do you work? Um at home but I don't have music on because music it it distracts me I don't I don't understand people who have music on I know everybody I talk to really does it's like there's this rhythm in the music and it's and I'm trying to find my own rhythm and there's these words and they're distracting so I don't, I don't get it hmm. so you're kind of old school yeah quiet yeah. I want quiet I can't even write in a cafe because they have music on yeah. hmm. and I was trying to find a cafe without music Right. And here, know. California? Yeah, they don't exist. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> How about you, Terry? Uh, I'm old school myself. I mean, I remember, and even people, you know, I remember talking to um, Stan Robinson, always plays music. Yeah, but um, how do they, I don't get it. To me, it's a, a lack of respect for the music. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, I'm serious. Yeah. I wouldn't. I, it's background music. I, I don't approve of that. You know, I mean, <laughs> in terms of the music, I wouldn't. 
I like to listen to music. But do you read to music? No. Well, what I'm do you reading, do when you listen to music? I sit there and let's pay attention to the goddamn music because <laughs> there's stuff going on. Well, there. do you dance to music? No. No? Wow. Even if it's dance music? No, I'm being serious. I, uh, I listen to music that, I mean, maybe so you, you put on headphones in a chair and just listen to music? But, I don't, no, I just listen. I put the music on and listen to the music because it's the kind of music I like. Is music that's uh, you know, it's like a piece of writing. Say so it's got a yeah. beginning, yeah. a middle, and end. And Lyrically, or or musically, or both. Both musically. Oh, I mean, it's it's a, it's a it's an artistic structure that's been put together with some care and uh, needs. You know, you need to pay close attention to it. That's the one of the tenets of high modernism. It's yeah. like Ezra Pound. You. Make it hard, yeah. You know, what about somebody like Brian Eno who set out to make music, quote, as ignorable as it is interesting? As, you know, as ignorable as it is interesting. Well, like, that's I a good... I can't ignore it, though. <laughs> yeah. I can't ignore Brian Eno. No, it's a good question. I I, I'm, I guess I'm... I'm just too, I'm an old guy, and I'm kind of old-fashioned that way. But in all seriousness, to me, uh, you know, the music kind of music I'm in is, is like... Uh, bebop or bluegrass or it, it's you know it's kind of intricate and they're doing stuff so you're supposed to listen to the whole thing Isaac again so how can you synchronize different levels of attention to give a pleasing uh, outcome to someone who's consuming your music down the line just differing levels of attention and different levels of consciousness is this to me or, or to Nick to everybody in the room you tell the that one Terry how do you synchronize different levels <laughs> of, of consciousness of attention because of consciousness. I don't think anybody's ever thought about that before, so I guess we don't. Well, okay, great. There's the what? Oh. I can ignore music that I haven't chosen. There, maybe you have it. Here, maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not the discussion I uh, plan to have, but it's kind of... It's, yeah, Once that. again. Okay, so I'm going to ask a question about books. Um, Lisa, fairy tales seem to be very hot right now. Uh, feature films, I've seen a lot of different tastes in literary works, a lot of, I mean, spanning genres. Uh, I finished a psychological thriller this morning with all the tropes of a fairy tale. Um, can you talk? I never know what's hot. <laughs> if I did, I, my career would be a lot different. Um, I don't. I don't really know. I mean, if it is hot, it seems to me it, it's been hot since I started writing. There's been an interest in fairy tales. Huh. Like what? There's Red Riding Hood. What else? Uh, there are a whole slew of them. There's uh, a couple of Snow White ones coming on. There's a couple of TV shows in the fall. There's a procedural a drama based on the Grim Fairy Tales. Really? Yeah. yeah. No, fairy Tales are very, very hot right now. Huh. ABC has well, coming out, and I can name you any number of books. I could give you a theory, but I, this is why I think that why I thought. Um, the Tolkien movies did so well is because people really are hungry for fantasy and they they aren't getting it in the places that they used to get it. So Which is where? Where um, is it? Well, people used to tell stories and they used to be, they used to tell fantasy stories. When did they do that? In the past. <laughs> Before well, the internet. Storytellers used to tell stories. And then there was a uh, period where People where liter okay where literature was very realistic after Hemingway with Hemingway. Okay, it was a period of about I don't know seventy years something like that. Yeah, you had to write realism, otherwise you wouldn't be taken seriously. Right, and now that's changing, and I think that's because people just got tired of all that realism, and they wanted fantasy, and that people need fantasy. But we're talking here about. Not only fantasy, but tales. it's fantasy that uh, has the patina of age or acceptance, right? You're mm -hmm. saying fantasy that has, I mean, a fairy tale has a little more 
clout than just a story you make up, right? More cultural influence. People know the story. I, I'm yeah. asking the question. Oh. It might be simpler than that. I think one Neil Gaiman has a lot to answer for. <laughs> you know, I think he's uh, done that a lot. And uh, uh, certainly when I was editing the magazine, I used to edit a magazine called Clark's World. I would get a Snow White pastiche every week. And in fact, even though I didn't use form letters, I had a form letter for a Snow White pastiche. <laughs> and I'd use it constantly. And they weren't even revising them or, you know, or interrogating them. They were just sort of retelling it. Uh, just very plainly retelling it. Um, but there are certainly tons of people doing really great work in fairy tales these days. Theodora Goss is one. Catherine Valente is another. Um, and certainly it's, it's a hot thing, definitely. Absolutely, I agree. That is a, a sort of a recent resurgence of it. As far as the TV shows, it's probably just because when you're selling a, a zillion-dollar TV show, here's the idea. It's something you've heard of already, right? Yeah. Okay, great. And it's free? We don't have to pay anybody? Great. And that's why I think it, you were seeing all these TV shows. Whether they last more than a year, that'll... that'll uh, be interesting to see. Huh. I don't know. Well, you work with Ellen. You're, with, you're doing a book with Ellen. Or you did I did a book with Ellen Datlow called Haunted okay. Legends, yes. Well, Ellen Speaking has of free been, material, that was like true ghost stories. Yeah. Yes. All right. Ellen has been uh, an anthologist in the field for years. Mm -hmm. and But it seems to me it was more like 10 or 15 years ago that she was doing yeah. uh, the based on uh, fairy tales. Um, because, and it was always, to me, it was always kind of ironic. You're supposed to, you know, the idea is you take a fairy tale and you retell as a, as a horror tale. So mm -hmm. there was a, a dis, it played off a certain yeah. Well, she did a few in this decade as well. She did something about troll, uh, something called the troll something and this and that, and one about the trickster's way. So even, even in the last few years, and All these right. are more for young adult audiences. So I don't know, uh, how, how steeped in irony they were in the most recent ones anyway. All right. Yeah. I never wrote, um. Yeah. Oh, I didn't do that. I'd take a fairy tale and make it into a horror. Yeah. And I wrote a couple for a couple of her anthologies. Oh. Uh -huh. So, so how did you do it? I approached them in weird ways. Just a, with a slant. Yeah. As Emily Dickinson yeah. would say. Do it with a slant. All right. Do you workshop? Yeah. What's that like? Um, well, <laughs> it's fun. Uh, there's... Over there, there's a, one of my fellow workshoppers. I don't know if I should tell the whole secret. We sit around and we talk for like two hours, and then somebody says, oh, let's do a workshop, you know? <laughs> We're here to yeah. workshop. So it's mostly, it's a lot of fun. And um, I've gotten a lot of help with from my workshop. Actually. Was this workshop? <laughs> yes, it was. All the way through? Yes, it was. We read novels, we read short stories. We'll read, um, some, some people have given us um, Mainstream. I mean, we'll read anything, really. So it's or not nonfiction. We read a nonfiction. It's mostly it's science fiction people, but we'll read anything. All right. And what about you? No. Just you and your computer and your cell phone and your right. TV and exactly your right. Yes. And mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and occasionally at two in the morning, I'll find someone in another time zone and say, "You have a chance to proofread something real quick? How how long is it? Oh, Four thousand words. And they'll just do that. I'll just abuse them that way." But no, I don't like workshopping, actually, even though I teach a workshop. Where's that? Uh, in Berkeley, uh, from the writing salon. You might see my picture on a little flyer somewhere, like a lost child. Oh, yeah. okay. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's how come your student is here? Uh, I presume so. Um, okay. All right. And workshopping works, but just uh, I, never, I don't really have the temperament for it. I'd be one person saying, oh, two hours? Let's just do two more hours of eating cake and having fun. Then we'll do the <laughs> workshop. And we never get any workshopping done. I'm not against workshopping. It's just not for me. All right. So do you workshop? No, I don't. I don't workshop. But you've also taught workshops in the past. I have, yeah. but I haven't done it for. Yeah. Well, that's the only, only way you can teach. You can't just teach. Just uh, yeah. lecture and leave. Unfortunately, yes, yeah, yeah, you have to teach from the actual material. And I always find it interesting, but uh, I never find it interesting in my own work. I always mm. find it. But, but you know, you can always. Are we just egomaniacs else? and Lisa's not an egomaniac? No, I always find on? that I can steal from other people. Oh, yeah. You know, they, they give me these ideas. They say, yeah. here's an idea, and, and you say, can I take that? And they say, yeah, it's a free idea. So. Well, now, both of you guys do short stories as well as novels, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. 
And do you? How do you do that? Do you? Do you are you ever working on both at the same time? No. No. Why is that? I don't know. I can't. I tried. So the whole time that you're writing a novel, yeah. you're not doing any short yeah. stories. I and tried. I really want to. Because if I get blocked, it, I mean, I hear people, you know, they say they get blocked and they go on to something else, and I want to do that, but I just, I can't concentrate on something else, because my head is all full of this one thing, mm -hmm. so I can't start anything else. And you? Well, I, I rarely write novels. I've written three and a half novels in, in ten years. So, uh, so mostly I'm writing short stories, but I write a short story in a day. I'll contemplate it for a couple weeks, then uh, do things I don't normally do, like wash dishes. And, and clean my floor and then do laundry and walk the dog and stuff. And then when I'm done with all those things, then I'll sit down and write a story. You can write a story in a day. Yes. In fact, I can't not write a story in a day. You mean you can't take... I can't stop once I've started. Oh. So and how until long it's are done. your stories? Uh, three, four, five thousand words, sometimes okay. eight thousand words. So there have been a lot of stinky days where I've, you know, gone all night and been up at four in the morning and five in the morning finishing it up. Interesting, yeah. interesting, and that that works for you because they sure. all get published. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I was for a long time I was a freelance writer doing you know journalism and academic ghostwriting and uh, copywriting, and you just had to find a way to squeeze these things in. So I sort of trained myself uh, to use a certain production process. I don't recommend it for anybody else, but just uh, uh, for me, it's worked. Yeah. Talking, I used to be a copywriter. I, I wrote cover copy for books. I was the copy chief at uh, Berkeley. I was I I didn't write them all, but I had to. Uh, hire the people to write. And I couldn't write the, you know, there's too many books to do the whole thing. But I had a writer's test. In the writer's test, when somebody came in looking for work, mm -hmm. I'd say, okay, do um, Snow White as a thriller. You know, so give me a uh, back cover copy, mm -hmm. a front cover line, and all mm -hmm. that. And I'd do, um, give them a fairy tale and then see if they could. And you couldn't really tell much about it. <laughs> <laughs> but it seemed like maybe you could. You know, seemed like maybe you could. Well, uh, the thing that struck me about sensation was the, like I say, the way it, it, uh, it seemed like a vehicle for spinning off. In it, my my thing wasn't totally facetious. Mm -hmm. It seemed like a, a vehicle for spinning off ideas mm -hmm. rather yeah. than a container. Sure. For ideas. Mm -hmm. And I've always had a, when I do teach writing or workshop, my sort of idea is that a, a short story is the sort of controlled release of information. And once the information's re all released, the story is over. And that, I think that's more the, well, that's the way I think your book is, yeah. is put together. Yeah. You know, the guy starts to say, there's this thing in, I don't want to talk about it now. You know, <laughs> you keep cutting the guy off, so you're you're always um, slowly releasing the information, yeah. um, and that's what the you you keep the German professor doesn't really get to. But I mean, but is, then he does. Yeah, but then yeah. he does. Yeah. yeah. So so would you call? I mean, that to me is sort of a. Um, that's the way a story works. Yeah. A narrative in a certain sense. Yeah. Well, what would you say about, um, I just read this book, I don't even remember what it was, where somebody, there's like a, a secret about, oh, there's a secret about the main character, and the author doesn't reveal it, like her mother killed her father or something, and the author doesn't reveal it until, and she keeps like, she keeps like coming up to it and not thinking about it, but there was really no reason not to reveal that at the very beginning. It's not really part of the story. So I, I'm, I just realized that, or somebody, I read something somewhere, if, you know, if there's no reason not to reveal something, you can just reveal it. Mm -hmm. And now yeah. I'm seeing all these authors being coy, you know? And then she thought of the garage door, you know? Yeah, well that's, uh, to me that would be something that didn't work too well. But, but it, it was, I don't know. I see it all over. Did it work? No. <laughs> like you can't fill like, a bookstore with good books. You've got to fill a bookstore with mostly bad books, right? If you walk into a bookstore, most of the books are terrible. Yeah. So that's just the nature of, of, of book writing, right? Right. Uh, most of them are going to be failures right. on, on some level. Yeah. So, so of course, you right. know, the rules are do this or do this in the right way. No, but, but actually, they're, about not, they're not requirements for being published. Just showing up on time is pretty much it. Right. You know? yeah. But we're talking about the platonic 
sort of platonic mm-hmm. ideal or the old uh, to me it's not even modernism i guess it's just it's just sort of standard narrative the idea is um you know you reveal it, it's sort of like a mystery structure but in a sense i don't know if romances are constructed that way but it yeah. it did seem sure. to me that yours is constructed in the opposite way mm-hmm. you give everything away pretty quick yeah you know yeah mm-hmm. and that seems to free you up in a way sure well uh, at the same time, these spiders aren't omniscient. They, they are very knowledgeable, but they're not omniscient. They even say, we're, we're not, we don't read minds. We're just good guessers. Right. And they're not, they're not even quite sure what's going on because we, we're, we're never quite sure what's going on, right? If I asked you, Terry, so tell me, just how does the economy, the world economy work? Hmm. You, well, you wouldn't know, right? You, you might have a guess. You might have a supposition, but you wouldn't really know. And we don't really know things. And in fantasy and science fiction, we have this thing called world building where we are very careful about sitting up our details and that kind of thing. But it's all, it's all bullshit, of course. Right? These worlds are, are so simple, they'd all collapse instantly. Right. So one alternative way of doing these things is to sort of give hints and, and suggestions and let the reader fill things in or make choices. So when you give them the, the, the premise, then they can figure out what's what. Like uh, even here, I've gotten reviews saying, well, who's the hero of this stupid book anyway? <laughs> you know, I'm supposed to be the spiders? I'm supposed to be rooting for these people? You know, right. in Locus, they're running one in July. And uh, the Tim Pratt, you know, he showed me a little bit of it. He's like, you know, he asked me, well, who's the, who's the protagonist? Is Julia the main character? She's in all the scenes, but is she, or am I supposed to like her? I'm like, oh, that's your problem. You're the reviewer. I don't know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just a different, I mean, maybe it's, you know, I, I'm not a postmodernist. I don't believe that we're in a postmodern condition, but I guess postmodernity is supposed to be suspicion of the big narrative. Right, right. and yeah. what the, the narrative is there to give you something to kind of play off. I yeah. mean, I think it, it gives you a, uh, it's a straw man. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, this might be a really silly question. Great. I haven't read the whole story yet, yeah. but I know, as you said, it's about wasps and spiders. Yes. Um, I'm really arachnophobic. Will I be able to read it, or are there going to be parts of the book that are going to really creep me out? Mm-hmm. No, you're going to get creeped out, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're going to be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like, I'm severely arachnophobic. Oh, <laughs> You know, it's funny, we, we, this was one we had, I was showing like 35 covers, and this cover I liked, and I picked this one, but I almost picked the one with a gigantic spider on it. And in the end, people liked that one better. I, should, I showed it to people, like, oh, the spider one's great, but some people would say, oh, my God, what are you showing me? And they'd just freak out. And I didn't want people who worked in a bookstore to feel that way. You know, I didn't need like an arachnophobe at the, near, at the Barnes & Noble throwing it, all the books out. I don't want to put them on the shelf, you know. So uh, it's a big problem, apparently. People are very arachnophobic. I didn't realize this until I wrote this book. My friend Molly had a meltdown on, on AIM about this. Like, I can't believe you made me read this. I said, I didn't make you read it. Well, you said it was good. I thought it was. But she just she, she hates spiders, you know. So maybe this isn't the book for you. Maybe Lisa's book. Is it your spiders? There, there is a spider. Okay, fuck that then. All right. Maybe something else out there. There is, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so outside in the, in the Borderlands thing, there might be something about a spider. Ask Jeremy. He'll, he'll, he'll help you. Okay. There could be a... a a genre, books yeah, about yeah. spiders. Do not or a bunch, or a bunch of no spiders, yeah. yeah. Uh, do you have any, any other phobias you might have that we can warn you away from? Heights? Okay, great. <laughs> well, Anything else we'll do then? Yeah. That's how theme anthologies are put. Yeah. I mean, yeah. zombies. Yeah, sure. Of course, nobody's afraid of zombies because yeah. there's so few of them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm afraid of zombies. Okay. Uh, you like zombies? No, she hates zombies. Oh, you hate But do you like to hate zombies? No. No, okay. <laughs> This is going great, Terry. <laughs> well, you did a great uh, job. You know, so you're going to talk about our agenda. <laughs> yes. I want to know yeah. what Nick's agenda is. Uh, yeah, me oh, too. I'm it. very curious. Oh, oh, Jesus okay. Christ. Yeah, what was is this it? That yeah. he, he throws out? Yeah, that's the agenda right here? No, there's a political agenda. What is it? Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's... This is going to be a blurb for the paperback. <laughs> no, maybe it's not. No, I don't know. Sure. It, I, mean, it's, uh, I mean, to me, the politics are, are sort of uh, post-60s, um, anti-authoritarian um, uh, politics. I don't sure. Know. Uh, well, I'm interested in those things. Yeah. Like people yeah. write what they're interested in. You're, you're interested in cars, so you, cars show up a lot in, in your things. Well, yeah, people yeah. have to get around. I've already, already walked and takes the train of mine because yeah. I don't drive, right? right? Yeah. yeah, no, uh, that's what I meant by a political agenda. Sure. Well, I don't know if that's an agenda, though, just a, sort of a political interest. It's an interest, yeah. yeah I yeah. think your main agenda is... I'm not telling people to shoot, to shoot uh, real estate developers. I don't mind if you do, but I'm not telling you to do so. No, I think yeah. the primary... What it, and if you do, throw with the book away <laughs> before you get caught. Thanks, just throw it yeah. in. Yeah. No, the... the <laughs> you know, there, there's a... Uh, I mean, there's certainly books with agendas out there. 
especially in science fiction, there's a lot of didactic science fiction. Be a polyamorous libertarian. You know. Yeah. Uh, uh, all religion is, is horrifying mysticism has destroyed that kind of thing. Right. Or or the or the opposite. Those are exceptions. Yes, definitely. Debbie, what? She said to talk to the microphone, not to you. Oh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Well, what do you think, Debbie? Since you spoke, Debbie, you have to you have to contribute now. About political agendas no. in science fiction. Uh, I think there's a lot of didactic science fiction, and I usually don't like it, even though I agree with it. Who would that be? Um, on the spot, why don't you? Well, some. Well, how about something you disagree with? That would be even easier. Well, of course, that, that's very easy. Yes. Right? But let me actually stick with somebody I agree with. It's kind of the Avell, whose mm -hmm. politics I agree with and whose books I don't like as much as I wish I did. Because of the politics in them? Huh. Boy, hmm. I didn't feel that way. Yeah, me neither. I like his. Stuff. Yeah, I like yeah. his stuff. Some of his stuff. Yeah. He once he said he he reviewed a book of mine and he said the or it's on a list of Dreamers was on a list of political books or something and he said it was somewhat naive politically. <laughs> and then I I was really I was kind of hurt by that and then somebody told me what that meant is I'm like one step over from his point of view, like one, like a fraction over from. Yeah, that's you right. Know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the splitter off mm -hmm. of his point yeah. of view. You're a centrist. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yes, yeah. right. So it's not like damn it was faint praise. It's like praising was faint. Faint damnation. Yes. Yeah. That would work. would work. So I some of um, I love Le Guin's stuff, but some of her stuff is a little too didactic. Sure. And and I even when I'm agreeing with it, you know, I'm going, yeah, yeah, this is great. Oh, but I see how she set that up. Okay. You know, I don't think her people are crazy enough. I think she sets up these great utopias and I think just one crazy person could bring the whole thing down. Everybody does what they're supposed to do in the utopia and like, you know, all you need is one. Yeah. Well, that's just world building that is that's not really building a world in the end, you know. Compare that to say Delaney's heterotopia in, yeah. in Triton. It's yeah. full of crazy people, and, yeah. it, and it still somehow kind of works because by not actually working, you know. Yeah. yeah, but I think actually, I mean, I think some of her worlds could work. Mm -hmm. I just wish she'd had a crazy person in there to show how that would work. I don't <laughs> yes. know. To test it more. Yeah. To give her yeah. more of a test. She does yeah. It, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, they say sometimes if you're, you know, if you have a political point of view, to put it in the mouth of your antagonist, not your protagonist. Who says that? Ah, people do. Around. <laughs> <laughs> I've said it in my class. Yeah. Actually, Connie Willis said, she oh, sure. said to put the moral in the, in the mouth of the antagonist, and I tried that, and it didn't work. I think you have to be like as good as Connie Willis sure, sure. to do that, and it would work. What would Freytag do? What would Freytag do? Um, well, it'd be... Well, basically, it'd be about hating the Jews, yeah, and it'd be in so every page. Yes, in, yeah. in the mouth that's of a right, Jew, yeah. and <laughs> saying how <something laughs> so, yeah, horrible he is. And yeah. Yeah, yes. Well, that's exactly. Yeah. We just did a uh, with PM. We just did a <laughs> we did not just do that with PM. Okay. You know, <laughs> uh, you know Michael uh, Michael Moorcock. Uh -huh. uh, that's what Michael Moorcock does. He has, you know, oh, he, has, right. he has a very humanist political agenda, but he likes to write about uh, pathological crazy. <laughs> Kind of people, you know, that would work. But to me, Le Guin is um, she's very old school. I, I think Le Guin likes a a clean narrative. I didn't. I think she likes. Well, some, to, but she's got some real experimental stuff out there too. Like what? Well, the always coming home is not a clean home. narrative. Yeah. 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 All right. All right. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks for coming, everybody. <laughs> Does anybody else have anything they want to add to this? Because, uh, no, I, I felt like it was just kind of an interesting, because I... Uh, well, I thought there were things in common. I thought we both had sort of bohemian sort of settings. Like I was in Williamsburg. She was in uh, Telegraph Avenue in Berkeley. And sort of oh, outsiders dealing with these sorts of things. That's true. Yeah. And hers is about, uh, I don't know, I, I, I read... Um, I read Lisa's book when it was in manuscript, oh. and uh, and I liked it a whole lot. But I think it's also I think it's 
it to me it works because it's uh, it's uh, it's it's a very conventional structure. Yeah. You know, and uh, and I, when it works well, I think it it works well. That's what I, that's what I like about it. And um, well, it's harder to make an unconventional structure work well. Or is it? Yes, it is. Oh. <laughs> well, for whom? For me. Okay. Uh, for me, it's the opposite. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Like if I had to do that, it would be very difficult for me. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, I have written experimental things, but it's they're harder. Yeah. And I've written traditional things, and they're harder for me. Okay. Like I was telling Rick, I don't like writing novels, and so why do I have a newspaper article in the middle of this? Because I can write an article pretty easily. I'm like, oh, this will fill some pages. Yeah, you know. And then suddenly I have a novel at the end. Uh-huh. Yes. All right. All right. So, the, so you're like throwing off all these different ideas mm-hmm. that comes from. Does that come from like, that does come from the internet? You yes, said. absolutely. Yeah. It comes from all having all those tabs up. That's there. right. Mm-hmm. So what is it? Well, I think there is a difference between a very likable narrator who's a relatable person who relates to your narrators of spiders. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. And so that's a very, you know, a huge difference between sure. the two. Who was that? Uh, I, I was just going to say, isn't the internet and the blog similar to what's very traditional? It, it suddenly reminded me when you said I threw in an article of brave Captain Lasso's self to ship that just came in from Transylvania. It, mm-hmm. I mean, oh, sure. Yeah, there, I mean, there's an alternative tradition. Uh, there's a great book called... Uh, the novel, An Alternative History by Stephen Moore, where he looks at experimental fiction, postmodern fiction, uh, and he finds, he locates it in ancient texts. He even reads things like the Old Testament and the Torah as, as, as uh, experimental novels. <coughs> so everything that's, you know, is new or supposedly postmodern, which is why I don't believe in postmodernity, is you can find it thousands of years ago. And hundreds of years ago, you can find epistolary novels, you can find metafiction, you can find stories within stories within stories. Uh, it's just that uh, there's an ideological dominance of, of this sort of Freytag triangle conventional narrative, right? That we even call it conventional means something. It's well, more, more like usual or, or well, more common. It's the structure of a joke. It's the structure sure. of an anecdote. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. uh, it doesn't tell me much about how to structure a novel except, yeah. you know, make well, it. You're drawing that triangle in the air. Yeah. It's, it it's what <laughs> works. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But, then but everything people, works. Yeah. Right? No. <laughs> I mean, there are, there are, we've had 400 years almost of the, of the semi-modern novel, at least. Okay. And we can, there's nothing we can think of, the three of us, or, or this whole room of us, that hasn't been done at some point successfully in the world of novels. Yeah. You know, structurally or formally or whatnot. But Freitag is just saying have a beginning, a middle, and an end. It, yeah. it's, it's like saying if you go on a date, you know, pick her up and, and take her out and take her home. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just the. You can always start at home, though. It's the R. <laughs> the, uh, you know, to me, the. I guess one of the things that makes a mod, uh, the things that you play with and have to think about in a novel is not that structure. It's like, who's telling the story? Why are they telling the story? Mm-hmm. What's the voice of the novel? What's the, you know. More than the form, I don't think about the form that much because I, I like to work with a conventional form. But like in yours, uh, uh, your your narrator in this one is a guy. Yeah. Right. And uh, I I felt um, an affinity for that one, not just because I'm a guy, but because I, one of the things, one of the oldest devices in a novel, that uh, or the one that I use a lot, is the narrator is a little bit clueless, you know, he's like, he doesn't quite get what's going on. So then you've got his journey, yeah. you know, he, he's, he's a little dumber than the reader. And then the, then so the re- it flatters the reader a little bit yeah. and it gives the, you know, it makes things move along. But you also have, uh, in your novel, part of the structure, the other part of the structure I think that's familiar is you've got two people bouncing things off each other. It's like Sherlock and Watson, yeah. you know. So you've got your Watson, only he's a little smarter than Sherlock. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and that kind well, of... Well, he's a little ahead of the other. He knows yeah. a few other things. Yeah, he just knows a few well, other I, things. I realize the, the reason it's, it's a first... 
person is because I realized I never wrote a novel in first person before. That's the only reason that's... I mean, that's uh, not the only reason, but then... So it was a formal choice. Yeah. You said, I'm going to write a first-person novel. I am. Yes, yeah. And yeah. then, and yeah. then I, I heard the voice, and the voice was really clear, and so I wrote the book. But um, it's, it's hard, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to do it again. You mean write uh, a... A first-person, because you, you ha everything has to be from that person's point of view. You can't leave that person's point of view. It's kind of claustrophobic. Yeah. And you have to have, if it's in the past tense anyway, some place in time where that author is actually telling the story. You know, and, a, and a motivation for it in, implicit inside the narrative. Yeah, or yeah. he discovers that. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, but if it's in the past tense, he has discovered that, and he's telling you ha about his discovery. You know well, what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, like he can't be at the firing squad, and he's exactly. telling you a yes. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but also, uh, so what... Have you ever done a novel in present tense? No. A short story? Yeah. And how does that, how does that differ? That's not that difficult. That's not that different. This really, this really, maybe it's just this novel. I don't know what it is. It just really was hard. Because hmm. to me, the present, when people write in the present tense, it's not really present tense because right. it's written down yes. you know so it's just it's, it's more of an immediate past tense yeah, yeah. it's, it's yeah. really past tense. i don't like present and tense. past tense in another way is really present tense because it's the present tense of the reader as they're reading it so hmm. so they don't um but they make a difference in the tone yeah um and they they say i don't know past tense says um you can relax. This is... Uh, oh, yeah. Present tense is more yeah. energetic. Or yeah. Present tense says, I just got my MFA and here's <laughs> my story. You know? And uh, or that's the way it seems. Well, I don't, I don't like it because I think people use it because they don't want to sound like a cliche, and so they put it in present tense and it sounds slightly different, but it's the same thing. You know what I mean? That's the way I feel. What yeah. Do I don't feel that way. Oh. Okay. Good. I mean, I don't feel that. Uh, I, I try to avoid when I'm reading a book saying, ah, I wonder what this author's trying to get away with now. He's oh, not I, like I me. I always do that. Yes. I'm critiquing a book as I go along. Yeah. I'll critique how, it's how I'm experiencing it, but yeah. I'm not thinking, oh, he's just trying to show off. That jerk, you know, I think that kind of thing. Well, like, when, yeah, I, uh, when I read, you know, I've read a couple. I, when I read a story yeah. that was in present tense once, and I thought about that, and I thought, this would be just incredibly boring in the past tense. It just mm. sounds more fresh and original because it's in the present. It's like a salad. Yeah. <laughs> it also sounds like a joke. It sounds like you're telling a joke. Mm -hmm. They're all in present tense. Sure. There's this uh, rabbi and a yeah, priest. They yeah. walk into a yeah. bar. You don't say they walked into a bar. <laughs> <laughs> right. They walk into a yeah. bar. And, yeah, it's true. It does sound a little anecdotal. Uh, right. The... Um, have you did you have you read uh, Freedom by Franzen? Yeah, yeah. You say what did you think? Um, I I don't I'm not sure why it was such a big deal. <laughs> Anybody else read it? This gets out of science fiction. Yeah, what did you think? I loved it, and I'm not a fan of this. Okay, why? Why did I love it? I I thought it was beautifully written. I thought he had a lot of interesting things to say about. Um, really profoundly flawed characters and I'm sort of <coughs> fascinated how those characters were interacting with each other and I felt like he was saying something about suburban life and family life in contemporary times and I just thought it was a pleasure to read from start to finish. I thought it was funny. Hmm? Yeah, some yeah, of so it's there's a lot of funny, funny very yeah, funny. Yeah. Some of it's yeah. funny. I just brought it up because it, it as a as science fiction writers, and I don't know, I had a tremendous prejudice against that book because I don't like him. I don't like <laughs> I how successful he is. I don't like. You don't like his clothes. He jumped. And he the guy jumped on the couch on Oprah. So no, that was Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he, he, did, he did turn down Oprah's. It was the same kind of thing. He turned down Oprah's. She wanted same. to. No, she wanted to recommend the book, and he yeah. turned it down. Yeah. And that was a big yeah. literary scandal. Right. Well, who isn't? But yeah, I just—I thought it was very limited. I mean, it was limited to this one particular 
strata stratum of society and it left out everybody else i mean everybody was white in the book everybody was well, why does every book have to be inclusive not include but one person that wasn't there was His assistant and lover is a... Uh, yeah, but she was she was also upper middle class. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were all... Well, yeah, it's, it's a book about middle class manners, and that's, yeah, it's, it's one of the long tradition of those kinds of books. Yeah, so it just seems yes. like there's... He's supp yeah. Okay, because it's supposed to I be I mean, a if, you were reading a, if you were reading a Charles Bukowski novel, you'd say, where are the Contessas, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't say that. You know? <laughs> no, but nobody says Charles Bukowski is a representation of the United States now. And no, Charles Bukowski. Oh, Bukowski. Yeah. But they do say... But but other reviewers have said, oh, you know, sure, this sure. is the great American novel. This tells everything yeah. about the United States that we need to know. And I didn't see that. Well, that's not his fault, yeah. I guess. He didn't say that. So. Well, I thought what was interesting, it made me, what, do, you, do people remember about 10 years ago, Tom Wolfe, who was writing these big novels like that, and he was complaining because with, uh, you know, the, uh, minimalist fiction didn't deal with, uh, you yeah, know, it, it was yeah. too minimalist and stuff. But I thought his books were horrible. And, <laughs> and, and, and cartoon characters and stuff. And like I said, I hated France and I, I hate his ass, I still do. Uh, but to me, that book did that. It was really about the material, the world, you know, that we live in. It didn't bother me that it was all. I mean, they were all. It was about. Exactly, it was so narrow. It was. To me. Yeah, but it was exactly our social class and the social class of the reviewers and the readers and. Which is our business. Which is a which is a large and influential social class of, yeah. sort of educated people who don't really fit in, but they do. I don't know. Yeah. But Debbie. Well, because I haven't read the book, so of course this is a totally informed comment. <laughs> <laughs> great many reviews have said, look. He's reviewing the, he's writing about the family. What an incredibly original concept. <laughs> no woman had ever written yeah. 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 that. That's, that's, that's what my mom said. She said it was really good, but she thought if a woman had written it, that it wouldn't have made any headlines. Exactly. Huh. Yeah. You know, that's true. It's like a James Smalley novel. It, yeah. uh, exactly. I liked it in the same way that I like, it's, it's exactly. true. Exactly, and I just, he's not, from not having read the book, He's not really plowing new ground. He's just getting no, no, he's not no, plowing he's not. But that's what I liked about that it wasn't plowing new ground. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want to get credit for inventing the genre of the family. Yeah. Movie. No, he, well, he doesn't. Yeah, yeah. But that's interesting. It and you know, the, like, um, uh, what's her name? Who's the woman that writes the Baltimore novels? You know, like. Uh, yeah, Ann Tyler. There's certain. You know, the Midwest woman's novel, which is dead now. Except yeah. for Jane Smiley, and that's really kind of what that was like. It's true, but what I liked about it was uh, we were talking about how people need fantasy. There, there's, there was a the reason they call the novel the novel is because when it came along, like with Jane Austen and and people like that, it was new because it was a long narrative that wasn't about kings and queens and dragons and ghosts and. Supernatural. It wasn't a romance. It wasn't about weird supernatural things. It was about people. Uh, it was about money and the manners of the time. And, yeah, yeah sure. and all that. And that's why th at that point that was new, and it was called a novel. It was imagine reading a long narrative that's about the exact people who are reading it. You know, it was written <laughs> for women who they, they were those were the readers. So. I thought it was, uh, you know, it just struck a chord with me th that way. But you're right. It was a guy. I want to read it. I'm curious. Yeah, you should. Yeah. You had something. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that um, when the middle class was first emerging in England in about the 18th century or so, especially with the Industrial Revolution, it was a big deal to write about a middle class. And yeah. social mobility and all these things and, and having more female writers that weren't just writing under male pseudonyms and things like that. Today, writing about a middle class, about writing about middle class, not writing about the empty promises of the middle class or the decline or some other, you have to make it new. The middle class has been written about and having that again, I mean, writing about the family has been done. 
do want to talk about exposing all the, um, you know, the dark belly of the family. That was the modernist um, post-50s yeah. thing to do. We've, we've yeah. heard about all the family underbelly secrets. And all Richard Yates and, and Philip Roth and everything like that. Yeah, yeah it, that's just been done. So if you want to make it new, I mean, we have to, that's not a new angle there. Well, it's a genre of fiction, sort of like science fiction. People don't say, oh, spaceships, that's been done. You know. Oh, oh, you got a vampire boyfriend and a werewolf boyfriend? Oh, good, that's great. You just thought of that yourself? Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's just a, it's a genre. And it, so it's a genre is partly a tradition and partly uh, a marketing category. So like the social novel, that's what trans is interested in, the social novel, that's what it's about. It's about, uh, so in, in Freedom, this guy's going on about overpopulation. He's really worried about that and saving the birds and all this bullshit, you know. And that's the kind of thing. It's right out of the newspapers. That's, that's the idea. But so in the same way that uh, the middle class has been written about, so has the technocratic class, so has uh, king and queen, kings and queens. There are plenty of novels about people who are drunk and living in the sewers, but they like to read books, you know, sort of like in the, in the Bukowski or John Fonte mode. So everybody has their own little literature. The difference is that one literature shows up on the cover of Time and one literature shows up on PM Press at the Anarchist Book Fair table. What's wrong with PM Press? Nothing. <laughs> not, not a thing. But uh, we're not getting on the cover of Time with them, well, Terry. maybe, also, maybe what, yeah, here. She was picking up her pocketbook. <laughs> maybe also, <laughs> I was thinking of the, the reaction. Uh, really what put uh, Kim Stanley Robinson on the map was his Mars novels. And to me, that was partly, a part of that was retro. It was like, wow, here we have, we're going back to what science fiction is supposed to be. It's about going to Mars. Yeah, right. It's not yeah. about all this other bullshit. It's about going to Mars. Yeah. And I think, and I think it was true. It, it, there's a, and I think that's one of the things you get, uh, or at least I got from friends, and uh, which I never even liked those kind of novels. But I say I didn't. Actually, I, I do. I like midwest <laughs> women's novels. But in a sense, it was like Franzen was, he was writing about this social class that is this odd social class that exists only in America, which is sort of guilt-ridden and prideful at the same time. It's kind of edgy. You know, it's yeah. all these yeah. kind of things that he's they're, they're annoying so people. nailed it. The yeah. people that gentrified this. It was about the people who gentrified the neighborhood. And he doesn't like them. Hmm? And he doesn't like them. Well, that was... Not particularly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. What? Was, I my problem with the book was that Branson's a brilliant writer on the sentence and paragraph level, and he's really, I mean, to read that stuff is great, but he hates his characters, and he's like, he's, I thought, my thought was, just go be a psychologist and cure these people. Don't write about them. I don't want to read about them. They're, they're annoying. Go, go make their lives better and talk to them. Well, I hated them too. So I enjoyed I, just, I enjoyed them, you know, you 500 them? pages of them being uh, put you through the ringer. Absolutely. Books? About people you hate? Yes. Yes? Especially if they come to bad ends or, or are frustrated and okay. alone in the end. Well, maybe if he'd blown them up or, you know, had them infested with uh, flesh-eating parasites, that might yeah. be yeah. more satisfying. That's Mark, my shtick. Mark, so. over there, do you do you remember you told me about, um, you told me a, um, a review that you read about it. Do you remember that? It was something about mirrors. It was like, all, all reflection is no substance. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought. Mm. You know, it, it held a mirror up, and, and it let you look at it, but there was really nothing underneath the surface, you know, to, to, to give it any context. It's kind, of, kind of what the review was talking about. Yeah, well, I can, I can see that. Well, I just thought it was kind of, I mean, it's it stirs away from science fiction, but that's a good thing to do every once in a while, because science fiction's part of, you know, and the other thing, it's like, it's like Debbie and the, in the front row, you were saying it is a genre, you know, the realist novel is a genre, and it's, uh, it's kind of dying, it's kind of having trouble, so I yeah. think that's one reason he's sort of... Well, reality's having trouble. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. You can only do that so many times, and, and our time period, we're jaded and we're over all this. 
Yeah, and I think we have a uh, sort of that problem in science fiction too. You know, I, you know, and you've always had it where people, you know, begin to repeat themselves. Yeah. You know, and it gets. Well, the interesting thing about Franz and was his previous novel, The Corrections, actually is science fiction. It oh, has, yes? Yeah, it has this drug in it, this sort of notional drug that uh, that solves many of your hangups very quickly. You know, and it's interesting because you know he was even struggling with this idea of realism. You know, where's realism going? In the same way that science fiction people say, "Oh, technology is advancing so quickly, and we're living in the future. What can I have to say about the future?" People who are writing realist novels are saying that about the present. Things are going so quickly and so chaotically. How by by the time I write something, oh, I forgot about Twitter because I wasn't you know it wasn't in there when I when I wrote my novel. Oh, I forgot about cell phones. There would have been no affair if he could call the you know his wife up. So they're struggling with technology and the same issue science fiction people are, except that they're not looking at it from the same uh, angle. So, so uh, it was like Franzen had to, had to almost commit science fiction by mistake to, to write the corrections <laughs> properly. And it's no surprise that freedom starts you know, uh, in the 80s and then, and then moves forward to the present time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yes? You're going to stick with it. Yeah, okay. What do you think helps you write? Just helps you write? Yeah. Oh, just being good at it helps me write, actually. Yes, I, yeah. <laughs> I know that's not too much of an answer, but that question was kind of weird, too, you know. That's a good question. That's a good question. I think it's a very good answer. Yeah. I think it's a very good answer. What, what's yours? Oh, God. Um... Just what we were talking about before, having a, a place to write, a quiet place that that there's no music. <laughs> I mean, are you asking helps you write or helps you be a writer? Aha. Mm. Uh -huh. Gotcha. I think that helps me write or helps you write. Just being good at it. Helps me. I mean, I know that's sort of a weird answer, like I said before, but uh, some people have a knack for things. I, I had to learn and had, you know, years and years of rejection letters and whatnot, but I was, you know, my crappiest story ever versus the crappiest story ever of other people I've seen was better, you know. My floor was a little higher. Yeah. So just having a knack for it was the way it would help me. But wouldn't you say that you, you read a lot when you were a child? That yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. That's, that's yeah. mandatory, absolutely. Yeah, that's a good one, yeah. I still read a lot. Although it was funny, you know, uh, a few years ago, a friend of mine, uh, when I was living in Vermont, told me that one time he had met uh, John Irving, whose house basically is all about his books. So he's got like a, a Hotel New Hampshire house and a uh, Prayer for Owen meaning, uh, meaning room and that kind of thing. And he told, you know, he tells students, John Irving does, be sure to read all you can now, because when you're rich and famous like me, you'll have no time. <laughs> and he hasn't read anything apparently in years. So I guess one thing that helps me write is that I still read all the time. No, I'm still reading three or four books a week. Do you read as fast as you talk? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I can't use a Kindle, because I read two pages at the same time. Right. I read the left and the right, and the Kindle only gives me one page at a time. It is, well, it, it, I think it's true that every, everybody, even writers, in a sense, hate to write. It's hard to get into, but what helps you write, it, it's, I think it's true, and I don't think many people in the arts admit it that they like to do it because it's a little bit easy for them, you know, mm -hmm. and yeah. it's... Uh, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. sometimes. I mean, when yeah. it's, when it's, working, it's easy, it's, yeah. It's yeah. easy for you, yeah. and so really you're taking the easy way out <laughs> is you're doing, you do something because it's a little bit easy. Instead for you. of sure. and, uh, being an accountant yeah. or... Or if you had a perfect pitch, it might be a musician. Yeah. If, you, if you have a relative pitch, it's a little harder, you know. And then I remember reading this thing where uh, it's a new book that's out. It's about who teaches writing, not creative writing, but just composition in a, in a community college. And he says, you know, everybody talks about how most students, uh, you know, uh, they come to college and they don't know how to write and everything. And he says, you can't really teach people how to write unless they have read enough so they've internalized how writing is supposed yeah. to sound. And it's not something you can exactly teach people. It's only when you read enough that you've internalized sort of the rhythm and the sound of, of acceptable writing, and then you can kind of try to recreate that. And, and by, but, uh, you know, it's not, well, you know what I'm saying, that you have to, you mm -hmm. have to read a lot. 
Yeah. And sure. You have to read a lot. Well, I found that um, either reading something really, really good that I could never do in a million years or reading something really, really bad where I would think I know how to do that better. They both kind of make me want to write more, you know, like I'll show them I know how to do that. But like at at Clarion at a workshop or something, you can teach, there's things you can learn about point of view and story structure and all that kind of stuff. But how to write, not even a great sentence, but how to write writing that doesn't sound just like talk. How to write just something that sounds like writing is something that you have to have, I think you have to have internalized. Yeah. And even if you're terrible, it won't sound, you know, it'll sound like at least it's written. Comprehensible. I was going to say, there's there's probably evidence for that if you look at the novel, the writing of the novel, um, something like Robinson Crusoe, which was one of the first... uh, spiritual um, enlightenment novels. I mean, Robinson Crusoe is an adventure novel, but it's about Robinson Crusoe's journey towards God. And you look at that thing, and you and a modern reader looks at it and sees so many things wrong with it. You don't even have to be widely read. But when, when that was being written, that was pioneering ground. And every time you see these early novels, the, the first epistolary novels, you know, they're still bringing up this kind of episodic framework and, and point of views and too much of one person of another. You see them working these kinks out that in our modern day we've we've kind of learned from that, internalized it, and people have moved on. Well, to say yeah, but uh, you know, in that's the conventional structure you like so much, Terry. It was. It is. Uh, but also, I also sort of disagree with that because it, it's kind of, you know, if you're if you're talking about um, Clarissa or Pamela or Robinson Crusoe, maybe, but. The odd thing is in 1818, which is, what, 200 years ago, I mean, the, a Jane Austen novel is almost like uh, Athena being born full-grown from the head of Zeus. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like a totally modern novel. But if you look at our contemporaries, they're kind of fumbling around in the dark. It's they're fumbling a lot of them That's why Jane Austen is a huge novel influence. Right. It's kind of... And Yeah. No, I agree. But it, it was kind of... I don't, I don't know what that is. Sure. Even on that level of college, I was a, for years a term paper artist. I'd write term papers for people. Mm. And I'd get these. So you're an all around hack. Yeah, that's right. I'll do anything. <laughs> but I'd get these you know, historical questions from these students saying, you know, uh, could you put in the thesis? I'm like, what are you talking about? Oh, thesis? Yeah. What is that? <laughs> and the, ultimately, the difficulty was with these you know, college classes was they had never seen a term paper. They'd never read a term paper, so they had no idea what a term paper was. Who's ever seen a fucking Exactly paper? right. You know? <laughs> but, imagine having, but imagine having a novel writing class, and you would never read a novel. But I would just sit there and tell you what a novel's about. Well, novels are long narratives. They have, a, they have a moral instruction. They get a climax, a little epiphany at the end. Put in some middle class stuff. That's what the people, you know, they get to work. Would you write a good novel? Of course not. You have to, you have to look at them first. But these kids writing these term papers had never seen a term paper. They had no idea... Why a thesis sentence would it be at the at the end at the end of the paragraph at the first paragraph? I'd have to underline it sometimes so they'd know they <laughs> identify it. I actually taught a workshop yeah. one time where this this woman turned in a story where she'd summarized it at the top. Mm-hmm. She said because I thought you know you'd want to tell them what the story is about right yeah. away, so yeah. you'd, you'd write the summary first and then you'd write the story. And she probably has never seen it. She probably she, doesn't, doesn't write any stories. She had never, never seen read any a story. Yeah, I yeah. was wondering why yeah. is she in this workshop? It's <laughs> very strange. Yeah. Works for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you guys talked about didn't Say it again. Ones that did. Didactic science fiction novels that have worked. That worked. Oh, I mean, on one level, the more complex the didactic element of it, the, the better it's going to be because you're going to read more into it and you can reread it. So Triton by Delaney, I keep coming back to as one as an example of one that is didactic and is actually a... Uh, sort of a finger-wagging critique to uh, The Dispossessed. But it was also uh, eminently rereadable because there's so much in it. Camp Concentration. Camp Concentration is another great one. Yeah, yeah and I think Le Guin's, uh, you know, didactic in what way. I, like, uh, Left-Handed Darkness d- doesn't... It's not didactic in the way that it says, uh, you know, men shouldn't be sexist or stuff. But it, it plays out it very deliberately dramatizes what a society without gender would look like. So yeah. you can, mm-hmm. it's a thought experiment, which yeah. I think is, is a didactic kind of thing, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you agree? I never read it. Yeah. 
Well, you should definitely. I, well, read it and report back to us yeah. next month. Yes. I mean, I did one myself that I called didactic, where the um, um, it was an alternate history, you know, about what if uh, the Civil War had turned out differently. Uh, you know? Is this and Fire so on the Mountain by yeah, PM Press? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Or uh, all alternate histories, in a sense, are didactic. They, you know, they're, they're thought experiments. I don't think any of them are didactic in the sense of uh, maybe Kallenbach or the guy you're talking about, the Ecotopia guy. I saying, you know. I, I don't think I talked to him. Uh, we don't. Nobody. There's a voice in your head. Well, didn't. didn't. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> you're, you're having your invisible friend conversation. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what you mean because if you're didactic, I don't think that really belongs in a novel. You know, I mean, if you start thinking, oh, this author's preaching at me, you know, then suddenly it to me it doesn't work. So I don't know that didactic novels. So you don't think it ever works? Ever work? Okay. But you know, Left Hand Darkness, I don't think was didactic. I because it worked. Was. No, because oh. It, oh. she didn't. It draws you in. She, sure, sure. she didn't. You know, she she wasn't preaching. She it was a, an experiment. I mean, she was saying, well, would it look like this or would it look like That's you all know? Not, yeah. yeah. This, I would. Is not, the dispossessed is a much more didactic novel. Yeah. Sure. The what? Yeah. Yeah, I still like it, though. Yeah, yeah. I still think, I mean, I think it's it's a great book, but, you know, when I read it now, I'm thinking, okay, I see what she's doing there, you know. You don't have to, you could take that part out, we get it, you know. Or like another one is, um, anybody read the Poisonwood Bible by Barbara Kingsolver, you know, mm -hmm. and it's like how horrible we were, you know, the missionaries were in right. Africa. It's like, yes, we get it. You know, there's a lot of sort of axes grinding, but I like the book. I love it. You know, if I, if I agree with the, <laughs> the author, it's not so hard. Yeah. yeah. Um, coming to my mind right now are the uh, Sam Robinson's Washington trilogy, the 40 Signs of Rain, 50 Days of yeah. Right. 60 Days of it didn't seem preachy to me, but there was a lot of uh, education and explanation and not just about uh, scientific facts, but about uh, yeah. Yeah. moral questioning. Uh, and uh, one of those, a political handbook, like, you know, how can we solve this problem? Why don't you guys do this? Right. right he, he sort of leads you through those sort of things. So, but but so it's also sort of like wish fulfillment. Kim Stanley Robinson seems to, at least in these books, wish that he could be in Washington, D.C., breaking into the museums and being a scientist and making these things happen and dumping salt into the water of the oceans to uh, help carbon sequestering and that kind of thing. Yeah. But, of course, interestingly enough, there's all those thrillers, right? You, you can find them in the thriller section of the, of the bookstore. And we have, like every thriller has, you know, the White House on the cover, but covered in snow or with a big sun. So, so it seems like a, something horrible is happening when it's really just the weather. Yes. <laughs> Well, we should probably. Yeah, let's stop. Thanks. <laughs> Listen, guys, thanks for being here. And uh, interesting discussion. It kind of rambled, but I'm yeah. in a ramble mood. Yeah. And uh, we talk. We do literature. We really do. Yeah, well, uh, yeah we, we covered the whole, the whole uh, um, years of it. These yeah. guys are going to sign some books. Mm -hmm. We're all going to have another drink. Okay. And um, thanks for coming. We'll see you with John Shirley, who's a very didactic dude. <laughs> and um, who? Mira Grant. Mira Grant. Yeah. Cool. Come All right. All right. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Lisa. All right. Cool. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.